Father, this morning we just come to you, Lord. Through it all, Father, the joy of the Lord is our strength. The happenings and the happiness of the world will keep changing. But we have one constant, Lord. It is you. It is you, Lord. People may laugh at us. People may mock us. People may call us radical. But we know, Lord, you are our strength. Your joy is our portion. And you are with us, not just now, just through this year, you are with us forever. That's what you promised. I will send somebody just like me, my spirit, and he will be with you forever. Thank you, Father, for sending your son for us. Thank you, Father, for giving us your spirit. So we commit this time into thy hands, O Lord. Spirit of God, we pray you help us to speak, to hear, to understand, and that through it all we may lift up and glorify Christ and Christ alone. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. We've been looking at Elijah on Mount Carmel and we reached Psalm 78 and we looked at Psalm 78 and verse 41 where we see that it is actually possible to limit the Holy One of Israel, this incredible, powerful, loving God who actually says that if God is for us, who can be against us? And that with his son, he will give us all things. And we cannot even think, pray, ask, or imagine what God can actually do through us and in us. That's Ephesians 3.20. But we, we block or we limit God's power in our lives. And we saw the various ways in Psalm 78 we limit God's power in our lives by the sin of disobedience. We forget who God is. We forget God's righteousness, God's holiness. We forget that. We always, we, we, we forget the nature and through life, through experiences, terrible experiences, like they say experience is the best teacher. And we learn, okay, okay, this is why nothing happened. Nothing happened in my life because I must mistook God's kindness that he overlooks unrighteousness. He overlooks uh, uh, godlessness and he doesn't. There was one man who walked in the perfection of the spirit. It was Jesus. Though he came just like us in the flesh, the Bible says he was filled, anointed with the Holy Spirit and power. And he went about doing good. He is the one who actually fulfills God's purpose from the beginning till the end. And you will see, this is something which we need to understand. When Jesus taught us to pray, he said, this is what you need to put right. Okay, We do not limit God by understanding his purpose, his name, his kingdom, his will. When he was asked, one of the first times we encountered Jesus is when he is 12 years old. And at the age of 12, when he was, uh, he stayed back at the temple and his, his earthly parents had gone ahead. When they came back, his mother was flustered as any mother. When you lose your child and then you find it. Son, what have you done to us? He said, what's the issue here? He says, I was at my father's business. 
So even though we do not see Jesus for the first 30 years of his life, we need to realize from that one statement, even during those 30 years, he was absolutely focused. I am at my father's business. The focus never changed. We do not know what he did during those 30 years. He was just a simple boy growing up in Nazareth, the carpenter's house, a few years in Egypt to, to flee from the king's rage, and then in Nazareth. But the focus was absolutely your name, your kingdom, your will. Then we see him in the wedding at Cana three days after he is, uh, is back from the wilderness and he begins his ministry three days. We see him in the wedding at Cana. At the wedding of Cana, his mother again comes to him. And he again is very clear. He tells, woman, what has this got to do with you? Meaning, you're trying to move me from my father's business, my king's, my master, my God, my Lord's business. And don't do that. A little later, you will see him and his brothers. And his brother says, if you really want to have started ministry with a bang, this is not the place. You should be going to Jerusalem and show yourself. And he says, your time is always. My time is not none. Later towards the end, you will see Peter telling, trying to dissuade him from going to the cross. He turns back and he says, get behind me, Satan. So you will see from the age of 12, when we are introduced to him, till his point on the cross, you will never see him backing out from the purpose of the Father. Okay, Whether it was from family, the crowds, disciples, nobody. And therefore, God could fill him with power and you will see he could fulfill the purpose of God. So we will see he is the first person who walked on earth who never limited the Holy One of Israel. He never limited the Holy One of Israel. He never disobeyed. And then 78, um, Psalm 78, we saw the sin of forgetfulness. We forget what God has done. We forget what God has done. And we pray, we say the third limitation is by the desires of the flesh. We have all these worldly, carnal desires and we ask God and we limit the actual work of God. Even if God gives something, it ultimately becomes judgment. We saw we limit God by unbelief. Unbelief, no. The book of Hebrews says they also heard the gospel just like us. But because they did not mix it with faith, it was of no avail. We hear the word of God, but we don't believe. And he says, nobody should have an evil heart of unbelief by which they depart from the from the living God. So the sin of unbelief. So first, sin of disobedience, sin of forgetfulness, sin of fleshly carnal desires, sin of unbelief. Then we saw the sin of hypocrisy. We say one thing with our mouth, but our heart is far away from God. Okay, the sin of hypocrisy. Then we saw the sin of idolatry. We have idols in our heart and we have high places in our mind. That was exemplified in the Israelites' life. They had idols, the Gentiles had idols and high places. We have an opinion which we exalt above the word of God. And ultimately, our that opinion now defines. And we may use a scripture to sanction that opinion. But that opinion, because you have to look at, if you want to have an opinion, you have to have all the opinions of God. Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21, you have to give its equal value because it's the whole world, the whole counsel of God. Instead, we'll pick one or two which suits our flesh. Okay, that's what Christians do. Gentiles don't do that also. So you have an idol and you have an opinion to these things. And then Isaiah says, God says, when you approach me through a servant of God, according to the idol in your heart, I will answer you according to that idolatry. And it is judgment. Today we are looking at something else. You know, we've been looking at, uh, we've been looking at, uh, connected with that. Okay.
connected with that. Okay, we've been looking at prayer, and I want to continue with that. And I want you to turn first to First Kings chapter 18 and verse 1. Is it seventeen one? Can I have eighteen one? Yeah, no, oh, yeah, seventeen one, not eighteen one, seventeen one. First Kings chapter seventeen, verse one. Elijah the Tisbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand. Okay, before whom I stand. There shall be not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. Today I want to see how we limit God when we do not see the power of one. It's only one man. See, if somebody gives you one rupee, <laughs> I mean, one rupee, what? What can you do with one rupee, right? What can you do with one? How many people do you have in your church? One person. Think, no? One person. We limit God because we do not see the power of one. That one man, if he learns to stand before God, can stop the tide of evil. On the other side could be tens and thousands of millions. It's irrelevant. We forget the power of one because we are caught in this number game in the world. Because everything is connected with numbers. Politicians want numbers. Biden has four people. Trump has 10,000. Okay. Ratings, Twitter, followers, Facebook. Everything in the world has got to do with numbers. And we discount this number one. In Ezekiel 22 and verse 30. Not our God. Hmm? Not our God. 2230, Ezekiel 2230. I sought for a man. That's all I said. He said, I look only for one man. One man is enough. Two is great. Three is fantastic. But one is enough. One man is enough. And always the question of God is that, will you be that man? Will you be that woman? And many people of God answer that God. Okay, and that's how we have a world civilization. The entire world is hanging on because one man or one woman answered the call of God. It's not a crowd. It's one. one. Even if the day of Pentecost begins with 120, it ends up with one man. Yeah. By the time you come to Acts chapter 9, after that the narrative goes to one man. It is one man. And we have the scriptures because one man surrendered himself fully. So the power of one. In Isaiah chapter 51 and verse 2, God says, when I called, when I began this whole thing, look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah who bore you, for I called him alone. It's one man. Okay, So we have three great dispensations. The Jewish nation, the Islamic nations, and spiritual church, Israel. And they all look to Abraham as the father. One man. One man. Honestly, you take these three groups out. You take Judaism out, you take Christianity out, and you take Islam out. What you have is polytheism. The testimony of God as one is gone. It all started with one man. What is common about these three religions? 
they believe in one god what is common about all the other religion multiplicity of gods multiple not that all three worship the same god okay judaism and christianity does but islam definitely not so moses was just one man like i said democracy is all about numbers but the kingdom of god is all about one man called jesus christ so if god is for you all he takes it's one man so god found one man in the ur of the chaldeans he found one man in the wilderness of median okay every age you will see he found somebody it is thomas carlyle okay we don't have to go to him but just as a reference in his history of societies he makes a statement that history of societies are shaped better or worse by one man or woman who acted boldly one man but in the bible it is not just one man it can be one man one woman or one child one child look at first samuel chapter 2 verse 11 and then 26 and 31 elkana went to his house at rama and the child ministered to the lord before eli the priest is one one boy one boy without people realizing it's one boy is holding the hand of god from judgment on israel one little boy he's a little boy he's called a child he's a child and i will use the term boy little boy it's a little child in verse 26 and the child samuel grew in stature in favor with both lord and the man okay a child and 31 and the boy samuel ministered to the lord before eli and in verse 10 and the lord came and stood and called as at other times samuel samuel and samuel answered speak for you you know what happens the child has become the servant of god child and now till this man dies this man will define the history of israel one man till now in the first two kings of israel and he as a child became the servant of god so please never discount the power of one because we will always get caught by these numbers and crowds and big churches and big movements and all and says but what can i do what can i do in nehemiah chapter 1 and verse 4 so it was when i heard these words i sat down i wept i moaned i fasted i prayed and the return of israel back to jerusalem began one man just one man okay of the dispensation coming back the remnant coming back it all started at one man one man daniel chapter 9 verse 2 and 3 in the first year of his reign i daniel understood by the books the number of years specified by the word of the lord through jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in that okay so meaning he didn't go to bible college it was not somebody taught him these things he was one man in his room which is bible 
One man, simple, like it can happen anywhere, anywhere in the world. You sit in your room, you study your Bible, and you look, hey, according to the prophet Jeremiah, 70 years are up. So what do you do? You got knowledge. 70 years of captivity are up. We've been here for 70 years. So what did I, what did I do? I set my face through the Lord, to the, toward the Lord, to make requests by prayer and supplication, fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. One man. Look at what they did. Set my face towards the Lord. And to make requests by prayer, supplication, fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. And the question you have to ask is, Daniel, are you going back? No, I can't. I don't, I don't think I'll survive that journey. I'm already around 90 years old. Why are you doing? But his people are there. They need to go back. And I'm one man. What can I do? I will stand before God. I will pray. I will fast. I will cry out. I will mourn. And God will do something. And God did something. She touched the heart of the king. And the king was a gentle king. And he said, let your people go back. Right? Judges chapter 5, verse 6 and 7. So you have men. You, you have children. You have young men. You have old men. In the days of Shamgar, son of Anath, in the days of jail, the highways were deserted. Crime is infested. Nobody will walk through the highways because there are criminal gangs all over. Travelers walked along the byways. Highways are empty. Byways are full because highways are dangerous. Village life ceased. It ceased in Israel until I, Deborah, arose. Arose, a mother in Israel. One woman rose. She said, how long can this go on? Maybe call Deborah the prophetess. That's not the fact. That's not the truth. She prophesied only because she was found in a prayer closet. If you don't hear in your prayer closet, you cannot prophesy in public. Everybody wants you a prophet. Nobody wants to pray. You don't become a prophet without a prayer life. I, Elijah, who stand before God, in what? In prayer. That I have received a word from the Lord. Now I speak to you, King Ahab. Everybody wants a title. Nobody wants to do the labor. So it does not matter who you are, how old you are, what your gender is. It does not matter. If you are that one person with God, one person with God, before God, who stand before God, in prayer, in fasting, in sackcloth, in all these things, if you are that one person, and your background does not matter, who you are, where you came from does not matter. <laughs> you know, Elijah the Tishbite. Who is he? All we know is he from Tishbe, from around Gilead. Who is his father? Don't know. Who is his mother? Don't know. Who is his grandfather? Don't know. All we know is an Israelite. That's all. So it does not matter who you are. Your khandan does not matter. Your educational status does not matter. None of these things matter. God is saying, do you see the burden? Do you see the hour of the need? Will you be that man? And he stood that all alone he stood. Until God gave him a servant called Elisha, he stood alone and he stopped the tide. Today we will go to another man. Okay, another man. And Ezekiel had written in 22, I looked for one man. We don't have to go there. God looked for one man. More than a hundred years before Ezekiel wrote those words, God found a man. Okay. And he's an important man. His name is Hezekiah. He's an important man. Why is he important? Because his record is found in the book of Kings, in the book of Chronicles, and the book of Isaiah. 
three books record this man's life. It's very rarely you have one man's history recorded in three books. I don't think there is anybody other than Jesus in four Gospels. Whose, whose history can we randomly remember recorded in three books? Okay, so it's an important man. Why is this important? Because God used this man to teach subsequent generations some lessons. But before we go to him, let us go to the background just before him. Background was terrible. Why is it important? Because background does not matter for God. Your background doesn't matter. Doesn't matter how terrible because after Adam and Eve fell, all we have is practically dysfunctional families. Right? So your background doesn't matter. So let's look at the background. Second Chronicles chapter 28. This is about his father. 28. Verses 1 onwards. Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem, and did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord, as his father David had done. So God's reference point is always, we have seen, is David, one man after God's own heart. For he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel, and made molded images for the Baals. Okay, he went into idolatry. And words, yeah, Baals. He burned incense in the valley of son of Hinnom, Right? Son of Hino. So if you look at it, the first thing his father does is, that is Ahaz does is, he rejects the true God and goes to false gods. Second thing, he goes even more further. He burned incense in the valley of the son of Hino, burned his children in the fire. His own sons, okay? What people will do to prosper for success? He burned his own sons in sacrifice. And if you look at verse 4, he turned the nation into idolatry. Okay, he sacrificed and burned incense on high places, on the hills, under every green tree. Okay, in so many ways he was very Indian. Okay, then in verse 19 you will see, as a leader he was a total failure. Okay, the Lord brought Judah low because of Ahaz, king of Israel. Okay, because he encouraged the moral decline in Judah. So as a leader also, he he failed. God brought Judah low. In verse 24, he will say what he will do, actually. Okay, so he has gathered the articles of the house of God, cut in pieces the articles of the house of God, shut up the doors of the house of the Lord, and made for himself altars in every corner of Jerusalem. Meaning, he was a democrat governor. He shut down the churches and told the BLM, you can be free on the streets. See, this is nothing new. What you see on the streets, what you see was always there. There are set of people who will shut down authentic worship and open up other things in the name of liberty. In the name of liberty. Okay, So you will see, he shut the house of God. And in verse 27, his end how God judges him. He has rested with his fathers. And they buried him in the city in Jerusalem. But they did not bring him into the tombs of the king of Israel. He was not buried with the kings. He was buried outside. That is his end. And his son Hezekiah became king. Now we have to see how the narrative changes in 29 verse 1. Hezekiah became king when he was 25 years old. He was young. He reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. And now his mother's name was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah. His mother's name was Abijah. Abijah means my father is Yahweh. And her father is Zechariah. 
for all purposes, he should be Zachariah, the prophet who had instructed his great-grandfather, Uzziah. Okay? So, even if you have a wicked parent, if you have another godly parent, your life can change. Your life can change. It's only one line. But that line is, why did God put over there? Usually, it doesn't mention all the names. How many mothers of the kings do we know? We don't know. Very few we know. We don't even know David's mother's name. We know he's the son of Jesse. We don't know who, who his mother is. Right? So the mother is mentioned here and also mentioned whose daughter she is. So she was the influence in his life. So everybody has a choice. You can choose to go the way of your father if your father is evil. Or you can choose to go the way of your mother if your mother is godly. Or if your mother is evil and the father is good, you can choose. It's a choice. And Hezekiah chose the way of his mother, probably. His mother was the influence. So he had an evil father and a godly mother. So God says you are not without excuse. There are always godly examples around. Okay, and you can choose. And verse 2, he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father David. His father decided to do nothing David did. He decided to do everything David did. Okay, one generation later, things change. Now, you will see how he brings revival back. The first thing is, the first year of his reign, in the first month, what did he do? He opened the doors of the house of the Lord. That's the first thing he does. Okay, I'm sorry boys, I don't need the AC. Okay, if you want, you can put that one on. Okay. Like I said, it's a worship service, not Disney's Frozen. Okay. 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 So what does he do? He opens the house of God. It's interesting. The first thing he does is opens the house of God. How many of us think about that as priority? You know, you have this battle going over COVID in US. Other countries are different. COVID in US. You know? Everybody should think, okay? No houses of worship should be opened. Why are they so tough on the houses of worship? Kuma is going after the poor, the Hasidic Jews. You know, Newsom is going after all the churches. Everything else is allowed. Last week, uh, you had that uh, women's march. No? Women's march. <laughs> Does anybody bother? No mask. Crowded like sardines. And nobody sings a word. Hey, come on. While the restriction orders are on in D.C. Yet, the church in D.C. had to go to court. And the court said, the mayor, it is not just. You have to give you equal treatment. So he allowed the churches to start. Federal court allowed. I mean, do you need to go to court to worship? Okay, think about it. So the first thing Hezekiah did, that is, he opened up the house of God. He opened the house and he repaired them. Let's go further. Okay. Oh. Can we go to NIV? Is that all he did? Go to three. Very strange. I don't know. Look at KJV.
No, not four. I want three. Same thing? Okay. He, st he repaired the house. And yeah, he repaired the house of God. Let's, let's look out. Uh, let's continue from there. Okay. So he opened the house of God and he repaired them. That's the first thing which God wants to do us in the life. Now, please remember in the new covenant, how do we take it? In the new covenant, God is very clear. The house of God is not the building. The buildings like in Hyderabad, churches can go underwater. The problem is if the water gets into the people who are in the building. We are the building. And the question is, are our doors open for God? Are we willing to repair ourselves? Remember his father shut the doors of the house of God. He opened the doors of the house of God. Okay, verse 4 and 5. Yeah. He brought in the priests and the Levites and gathered in the east square. And he said, what? Yeah, that's the verse 5 was the one which I wanted. He said to them, hear me, Levites. Now sanctify yourself. Sanctify the house of the Lord God of your fathers and carry out what? What is there in the holy place? Rubbish. Okay. Rubbish. No. He says, first sanctify yourself. Okay. Even to carry the rubbish out of the house of God, you need to sanctify yourself. Sanctify yourself. Sanctify the house of God and take the junk out of the holy place. Okay? Please understand this. Revival always begins with self and then the house of God. It doesn't begin with you. You're all worried about the world. We think the problem is with the world. God says no. The problem is not with Hollywood or the media or any of those things. It's got nothing to do with them. The problem is with the house of God. That's why God says judgment begins in the house of God. Now we are always looking at the outside world and says, look at Hollywood, look at the media. Yes, what do you expect them to be? Entertainment industry was the same from the time of Sodom and Gomorrah and Noah's time. Nothing has changed. Okay, Only we have more technology and color now. Otherwise, nothing has changed. The world was always like that. But the problem is the church was never meant to be like that. So God says, don't look at them. Look at yourself. Look at the house of God. In Wales and all, what happens is when the Welsh revival broke through, it broke through because of one man. And from that man, it started hitting others. By the time it hit Wales, everything was shut. There were no pubs, there were no bars, no theaters, because there were, there were no customers. There were no customers. How do you run a bar without customers? How do you run a movie theater without customers? You know, the problem is you sit with the Bible and Facebook, one hand is the Bible, the other book is for One is the TV and the other is. There's nothing wrong with TV if you use it for the right purpose and not for entertainment. No. That's how the Welsh revival took place. So God says, you're always trying to change the world. He says, no, <laughs> you are the change. You are the change. He says, sanctify yourself, sanctify the house of God, and take the junk out. No? Take the junk out. Because so much junk has accumulated in the house of God because it was shut from God. Not from people, from God. You can open the house of God for people and if God is shut out of the place, the junk will accumulate. And God has to show it to us and say, Lord, show me the junk in my life. The filth in my life. What is displeasing in my life? Show it to me, Lord. What is displeasing in my life? The carnality in my life. The worldliness in my life. 
the hypocrisy in my life. Show it to me, Lord. Show it to me, Lord. Lord, show it. Because I want to carry it out. I want to throw it out. Because I am. The Bible says very clear. You are the temple of the living God. No. Because what happens? When God's voice goes, and the house of God is actually shut to the presence of God, and junk accumulates, what happens? Verse 6 and 7. Our fathers have trespassed and done evil in the eyes of the Lord our God. What happens? When the house of God is shut and junk accumulates inside, our ways change. We trespass against God and we do evil. It doesn't say that evil in the eyes of the world. No. Evil is acceptable in the eyes of the world because we choose to live in the eyes of the world and not the eyes of God. And then what happens? Third step, we forsake him. Not only that, we turn our faces away from the dwelling place of God. And we don't realize when we turn our faces away from God, we turn our backs to God. We turn our back to God. Okay? This is what happens when the doors of the house of God is shut and junk accumulates. We trespass, we do evil, we turn our face from God, we turn our backs to God. And what happens? Worship ceases. Okay? Worship ceases. And when worship ceases, please remember, what are we in eyes of God? We are dead men walking. Because real life is eternal life. Real life is when the Spirit of God is inside me. Otherwise, we are just dead people. We may be looking alive in the world, but we are actually dead life. Let me, let me ask you this question. Old days, you used to see, you know, when... Uh, Somebody is dying or looks dead. What they do is they used to hold a mirror next to their mouth and nose to see if breath is there. What is the sign of life? Breath. What's the sign of spiritual life? Breath. That's why the Holy Spirit is called Ruah. If the Spirit of God is not there, you are dead. It doesn't matter how great you are, how intellectual you are, how smart you are. It does not matter. The sign of spiritual life is the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit is not there, you may be sitting on a throne like Saul, but you are dead. Only thing, the sentence has been has been passed, the day has not come. You are a dead man living. Worship has ceased. Okay? So if you look further, you don't have to go immediately. In eight days, they sanctify the temple. It's interesting. They take eight days to sanctify the temple, and it will take God eight days to sanctify. Or seven days later, on the eighth day, the new millennium will begin. New heaven, new earth. Okay? In verse 20, you will see, worship is restored. Start things. It's interesting. I like it. Okay? I like it. King Hezekiah? Rose early. He's a king. Why should he rise early? The priest should rise early, right? Levite should rise early. That's what the Bible says. This is a true leader. A true king. This is a true king. Okay. King Hezekiah rose early. Now all the fathers who are listening, you are a king of your house. At least God says so, even if your wife doesn't say so, it does not matter. God says so. If God has said so, that's your office. And in the office, you have to function as a king. As a king, how do you function? Not by ruling over her, by rising early. Okay. And going to God. Gather the rulers of the city, 
and went up to the east. This is true spiritual leadership. He wakes up. He gathers also. When the king wakes up early, the others also have to wake up early. They have no choice. Gathers. And where do they all go? They go to the house of God. Okay. Look at the steps, how things are changing. They wake up. And then what do they do? Verse 21. Scripture says they offer. And they brought seven bulls and seven rams and seven lambs and seven male goats for a sin offering. Okay. You wake up early. You go to the house of God. You can do all these things. But there is only one way into the presence of God. It is through the blood of Jesus. It doesn't matter whether you are a king, a ruler, or a common man. God has made only one way. The Bible is very clear in the book of Hebrews. He has made only one way, the living way. It is through the blood. It is not through your works. It's not through your rank. It's not through your position. It's not through your effort. We can enter into God's presence only through the blood of Jesus. Okay, so you will see Hezekiah is different and that's why he's mentioned in three books in the Bible is because his reign does not talk about what he begin, does not begin with what he did in administration and politics and home and palace and family. It begins in the house of God, right? His reforms begins first in the house of God. And from there, it spreads to the whole city. So God says, you know what? If you really, really want to be considered successful, it should begin with your heart. That's where I dwell. It should begin with you, your temple. I am your temple and I dwell there. You are my temple, I dwell there. Start there. Don't look at all the other things. Start there. And then let's go to verse 25. Worship is going to... He stationed the Levites in the house of the Lord with cymbals, with stringed instruments, with harps, according to the commandment of David, of God, the king's seer, and of Nathan, the prophet, for thus was the commandment of the Lord by his prophets. Now he says, he said, you know what? You're going to start worship, but we will not do anyway. We'll not do anyway. We'll go by what? My father David, the king, because he was a worshiper of the king's seer, God, his prophet, and Nathan the prophet. How they ordained worship, we will go by it. If you look at verse 30, it's interesting. Moral king Ezekiel and the leaders commanded the Levites to sing praise to the Lord with the words of David and Asab. You can't have your own lyrics. I feel, hanging on there. It's already written what you sing to the Lord. So your lyrics should agree with scripture. Not your feelings. Not your feelings. He's restoring worship. In the house of God, the first thing that happens is worship. Praise, worship, thanksgiving, adoration. All these things say, enter my courts with thanks. I shall enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. But what kind of thanksgiving? What kind of praise? That also has been ordained. That has also been ordained. So what you see, they sang, the scripture says, with the words of David and of Asaph. Those are all the Psalms. What is he, he restoring? He's restoring the house of God. He's sanctifying the house of God. He's restoring worship. He's restoring everything. But the centrality is the word of God. Everything that is done has to be done according to the word of God. Revival actually starts happen, starts happen or, or begins when we come back to scripture. 
We have to come. One of the primary things about our life is to come back to scripture. That's what he's doing. He's bringing first, not only cleaning. First he repaired, opened the doors, all the broken down he repaired, cleaned out all the junk, sanctified everybody, came through the blood. Yeah, came through the blood. And what does he do? The centrality of the word of God. Let everything done here according to the word of God. We have the testimony of my father David. We have God the prophet. We have Nathan the prophet. We have Asaph the singer. All that is there. Let us go according to why? Because God has exalted, magnified, Psalm 138 verse 2. I will worship toward your holy temple and praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth. Why? For you have magnified your word above all. You. A lot of people will get mad when we say it, but it is written. That's not scriptural. What you are saying, what you are doing is does not agree with the word of God. And here is one man who is saying, I guess this is David saying, you have magnified either David or Asaf, right? It has to be one of these two. You take these two, there is hardly anybody else who wrote a psalm. No? So you have magnified your word above all your name. So Hezekiah is bringing, first preparing the house of God, sanctifying the house of God, coming through the blood, and is bringing worship back. And the central of it all, you see, is the word of God. So scripture has to be in the center of our songs. Scripture has to be at the center of our sermons. And scripture has to be at the center of our lives. Okay, that's what God is looking at it. When scripture becomes the center of my life and it is empowered by the Spirit of God, it becomes the life of Jesus Christ or the testimony of Christ. That's what God is looking. God will have only one testimony on earth. It is the testimony of Christ. Let's go to verse 26 and 27. Of that same chapter, yeah. Chronicles 29. Second Chronicles. The Levites stood with the instruments of David and priests with their trumpets. Okay, it's interesting, right? This is the power of one. Who was David when we found him? A shepherd boy. A shepherd boy in the wilderness, right? And we, when we first see him, one thing we know about it, he plays the harp well. Now, how many hundreds of years later the Levites are standing with not one instrument, the instruments of David. And the priests with the trumpets. Okay. And Hezekiah commanded them to offer the burnt offerings on the altar. And when the offer burnt offering began, the song of the Lord also began with the trumpets and with the instruments of David, king of Israel. Okay. King of Israel. Did you see the songs of David? The instruments of David? You know? This is something which we forget in Jeremiah chapter 6 and verse 16. 6 and verse 16. Thus says the Lord, stand in the ways and see. Ask for the old paths where the good way is and walk in it. And you will find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. You see, if you want revival in your own personal life, if we want revival, we have to go back and seek the ancient paths. That's why we study the Old Testament and the New Testament. Old, we are not literally following the Old Testament. Then we'll be caught under the law and a curse. But it is a shadow. And the substance is in Christ. So when we study, we are asking, Lord, show us those paths, the old paths. It's a good way. Walk in it. 
And when you walk in it, what do you get? In the midst of all the turmoil and floods and pandemic and you name it, wildfires, everything is happening, right? Alaska was hit by the earthquake off the coast by 7.6, so it's a tsunami alert. Okay, so everything is happening all around the world. All kinds of things are happening. But what did God say? You don't worry about all those things. You search my ways, my old ways, my ancient ways, walk in it. What will you find? Rest. Okay. So Hezekiah does not start, just say, okay, let us just sing. He says, no. Uh, what is the latest instrument? He says, no. Okay. What is the latest instrument? Let us introduce it. He says, no. Bring the instruments of my father, David. Okay. Always. No. Old songs. Scriptural songs. Songs that fit in with scripture. Let us bring the word back. Let us go to the ancient paths. Okay. Now don't take it and say that now we will not have any new instruments. That's not what I'm saying. Don't verbatim follow the Old Testament, but you have to understand the spiritual truth. Okay. And verse 35. And also burned, <coughs> also the burnt offerings were in abundance with the fat of the peace offerings, with the drink offerings of every burnt offering. So the service of the house of the Lord was set in order. Okay. Now, don't look at the church, look at an individual life. Okay. What is Hezekiah? God speaking through Hezekiah. He says, you are my house. <coughs> Put it in order. There is an order. Okay. Doors are shut. Junk has accumulated. So much damage. Open the doors first. Let some fresh air come in. Open the doors. Repair the damage. Take the junk out. Sanctify my house. Sanctify my house. Okay? Let worship begin. Don't worry about work first. Don't worry about it. Oh Lord, what should I do? Don't worry about it. Lord, teach me how to walk. He said, don't worry about it. First worship. Worship. Because that's how the Hebrews 11 begins. Hebrews 11 begins with the account of Abel. Abel offered a more excellent sacrifice. It doesn't begin with Adam and Eve, okay. It begins with Abel. Why? Because the first act of man should be worship. The first thing you do early in the morning, when you get up early in the morning, should be worship. So Abel worshipped God. And the second thing that happens over there is, after that, Enoch walks with God. You want to walk without worship? It is impossible. Oh, I will go to every Bible study, I will not miss anything. But are you worshipping? No man has walked with God who hasn't worshipped him first. It's impossible. All these techniques will not help you to walk with God. It may help you to walk with man. It will not work with God. With God, what begins is worship. Worship God. Enoch walked with God. Out of worship arises your walk. And the third person to to be mentioned in Hebrews chapter 3 is Noah. Noah worked. He built an ark. So there is worship first. Then there is a walk. Then there is work. Then you have the fourth man, which is Abraham, where all three are put together. That is his life, the life of faith. So God is teaching us here stuff. And he's saying, set my house in order. And Hezekiah, one of the first things, because you know what? We don't want a flash in the pan. We don't want a revival for two weeks in our life. We want to consistently walk with God, that our zeal for God never dies out consistently people will say, people will mock, people will call you radical. Actually, it's a good title. Unless you're a radical Islamist, to be called a radical Christian, it's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. Because radical Christians don't kill anybody. They just die to self every day. Okay? They don't kill, they die. 
Okay, that's a true radical Christian. They wake up in the morning, they worship God, and they pick their cross. And they walk. They're not living for self. They're allowing themselves to die first and live for God. So put that into order. So the Bible says in 36 what happened? Everything was set in order. So again, all the people rejoiced that God had prepared the people since the event took place so suddenly. Okay, When something takes place suddenly, revival takes suddenly, you know what, how can revival take suddenly? One man stood in the gap and God prepared the people. God prepared the people. See, we always count God out. God, God. We'll think, Lord, there are 10,000 people in my church. When will revival? This one is that. That group is like that. All that, Lord. It's no point. It's impossible to have revival in my church. These are too many of them. It didn't matter. God prepared the people. And it happened suddenly. Okay? It happened suddenly. Then the second thing we'll look. Chapter 30, verses 1 to 4. Hezekiah sent to all Israel and Judah and also wrote letters to Ephraim and Manasseh. They should come to the house of the Lord at Jerusalem to keep the Passover to the Lord of God of Israel. For the king and his leaders and all the assembly in Jerusalem had agreed to keep the Passover in the second month. For they could not keep it at the regular time because a sufficient number of priests had not consecrated themselves nor had the people gathered together at Jerusalem and the matter pleased the king and all the assembly. What happened? Next thing in student, this is happening in the first month. First month, 14th day is supposed to be Passover. They couldn't do it because the house of the Lord is shut. It's full of junk. So they shifted for one year, I believe, to the second month. But what is happening over here? What is he doing? Under his father for years, Passover had been forgotten. Okay? The celebration of Passover in Israel's life is where their history begins. Their history begins in Egypt. It was of the night of Passover, God delivered them. There was a cry in Egypt and a cry saying, go. The Pharaoh released them. And in the midnight hour, they left. They left Israel, Egypt. Okay, So the history of Israel does not begin in Israel or the wilderness. It begins as a nation in Egypt on the day of Passover. Okay? And they walk out. The centrality of our life is the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. And until that is restored, there is going to be no revival. That's why Jesus gave us one commandment. Do this as often as you can until I come. Don't believe, don't ever forget your life begins because I died outside the cross. So Paul will say, we are not ashamed. We preach Christ crucified. The reality of the death of Jesus Christ, which has been forgotten, has to be brought back. The cross has to be brought back into the church. The death of Jesus Christ has to be brought back into the... Into the that's a, that is the central, that's the beginning. The day you believed in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and surrendered to that, that is where your life began. The blood of Jesus. And then only, if I don't believe in the shed blood of Jesus for the remission of my sins, how does that blood speak for me in heaven? Because the Bible says the blood speaks. 
The blood of Jesus speaks. When I don't believe it on, on earth, when I don't believe it in my centrality of my everyday, because if any man, John says, if any man says he does not sin, he makes God a liar. Because we all sin. Knowingly, unknowingly, consciously, unconsciously. So when you arise, you realize the first thing I need is the blood of Jesus. More than my tea or my coffee or my breakfast or my lunch, you and I can survive without that. We will not survive without the blood. Because when we confess, he is faithful and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all unrighteousness. So what is he restoring? He's restoring the centrality of the blood of Jesus. And the blood of Jesus has to come back. Now people have become so fashionable, mainline churches, so many churches, they have taken every mention of the blood of Jesus from their songs. Because it offends people. It offends people. And Hezekiah is restoring the blood of Jesus, to the centrality of our life. It is the blood. It is the blood. Verse 5 says, So they resolved to make a proclamation throughout all Israel, from Beersheba to Dan, they should come to keep the Passover to the Lord God of Israel at Jerusalem, since they had not done it for a long time. Not only they hadn't done it, and also in the prescribed manner. Has to be done in the prescribed manner. Okay? You have to, you have to appropriate the blood of Jesus in the prescribed manner. What is the blood of Jesus for? For the cleansing of your sins. If you confess, don't automatically believe the blood will work for you if you do not confess. The prescribed manner. You look at those two prescribed manner. 1 John chapter 1. You know? Verse 8 and 9 if I'm right. Or 6, 7, 8. If we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. How does it happen? If we say we have no sin, see, we say we have no sin. Any man who says he has no sin hasn't encountered Christ that day. Because Christ does not reveal in his glory to us in one go. He just reveals himself little by little. Every time he reveals a little of himself, what we are aware of is our sinfulness. That's what light does. That's why light is used. Right? If Sammy were to take that light off, you don't see all the pockmarks on my face. The brighter the light, the more clearer you are able to see your defects. So God doesn't show all his light in one day. He's slowly unfolding his glory upon us. The more we see his glory, the more we see our unworthiness. So if any man says he does not sin, he makes God a liar. He makes God a liar. And verse 8? Yeah, that's verse 8. We deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, I'm not talking about the Catholic confession. The Catholic confession is the same confession. Every weekend goes in the Lord, I have sinned, have mercy. That is not. You have to, God has to reveal your sin to you. God has to reveal your sin to you. Unless you encounter God in your prayer closet and in the word of God and through the spirit of God, you don't even know your real sins. You will confess what you think is sinful when those are the things that are not upsetting God. There are great things which is hidden from you because you don't encounter the light, the mirror. As long as you don't go, go to the mirror, you don't know whether you have combed your hair or washed your face. You forgot. One look at the mirror before leaving, I forgot, even this morning. I forgot to comb my hair. You know? Showered, shaved, everything, and then no one look, okay, I forgot to comb. You know what it did? The mirror showed it. 
A mirror showed it. Okay. So God says, my word is the mirror. And the Bible says, prescribed manner. How does the blood work? If we confess our sins, he is faithful. We confess our sins. We have to use the blood of Jesus in its prescribed manner. We have to use the blood for first ourselves. Then here, Revelation 12.11. Okay. The blood has to be used for prescribed manner. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. Yes, the tempter came. He tempted you. And I fell. Go to the Lord. Run to the Lord. Confess. Let the blood cleanse you. You are forgiven. Now what are you going to do? Go the same route? No. Now you have to fight the enemy. How do I fight the enemy? With the same blood that cleansed you. Same blood that cleanses you. The very blood that cleanses you destroys your enemy. Destroys the enemy. Okay? He flees from the blood. He flees from the blood. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. The blood. The blood of the lamb. They destroyed the enemy by the blood. The blood. So God says, use my blood. Use my blood in this prescribed manner. That is the Passover. Right? We forget. Let's go back. Verse 5 is what we read. Okay? 30 verse 5. Okay? For it had not done in the prescribed. No, no, no. It's 30, verse 5, no? They had not done it for a long time. So start today. Go back. Celebrate your own Passover. Not the Jewish Passover. The Christian Passover. That is what? The blood of Jesus Christ. In the prescribed manner. And verse 15. 1-5. Then they slaughtered the Passover lambs on the 14th day of the second month. The priests and the Levites were ashamed. So God says, are you ashamed? You servants of God, are you ashamed? Now they are ashamed. Okay, there's a good shame and a bad shame. Today people are not ashamed of their unholiness. They are ashamed to seek the holy things. Okay, shamed. No, what is he saying? The priests and the Levites were ashamed. Okay, when they when you encounter the blood of Jesus, you start feeling the shame of your sin. If you're not prepared, you can't just randomly, Lord, apply, apply the blood. God says, wait a second, do you know what my blood does? So they were slaughtering the lambs, but the leadership was holy. Hezekiah is a man moved by God. So when they were slaughtering on the fourth day, what does scripture says? The Levites are ashamed. The very blood of the Passover lamb was convicting them. So what did they do? They sanctified themselves and then brought the burnt, burnt offerings to the house of God. Okay, They sanctified themselves and brought. The slaughter is taking place somewhere else. The offerings are brought, brought into the house of God. The whole lamp is not brought over there. Only certain portions can be brought. But at the slaughterhouse, the question is, at the slaughterhouse, can the Spirit of God convict you? Not the house of God. Not the house of God. It's a slaughterhouse. At the slaughterhouse can God convict you so that you sanctify yourself and bring your offerings to the house of God because you are ashamed. No? Then the blood works. It sets you free. 
Okay. Are we ashamed of our carnality? Are we ashamed of our worldliness? Are we ashamed of our lack of zeal for the holiness of God? The righteousness of God? Are they ashamed? And these are the ones, okay, who are serving the Lord. Okay. Verse 16 and 17. They stood in their place according to their custom. According to the law of Moses, the man of God, the priest sprinkled the blood received from the hand of the Levite. So you will see everywhere they will go back to the order. Either to David, Asaf, God, right? Nathan or law of Moses. So we have to go to Jesus. Our role model is Jesus. How did Jesus do things? We are not looking at the law. The law is the letter. We are looking at the spirit, the substance. So if they did everything according to Moses, we have to do everything according to Jesus. That's why Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will lead you into all truth. He will not speak about himself. He will show you me. He will show you. This is the life of my son. You have to imitate and I will empower you for that. There were many in the assembly who had not sanctified themselves. Therefore, the Levites had charge of the slaughter of the Passover lambs for everyone who was not clean to sanctify them to the Lord. So there will be meaning salvation and holiness and sanctification is not a crowd thing. This is not crowdfunding. This is an individual thing. Individually, everyone has to be sanctified. And there could be many in the assembly. Many in the assembly, many in the assembly were unclean. But everyone had to be individually sanctified. This is not a religious service. This is a spiritual service. The worship service in the kingdom of God, in the house of God, is not a religious service. Religious service, it will come and you will go. Nobody knows what has happened. But when the spiritual service takes place, nobody goes unclean. And if you go unclean, you resist the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will speak to you. The Holy Spirit will show you. The Holy Spirit will tell you to confess. The Holy Spirit will apply the blood of Jesus and you go from there unashamed and cleansed. That's what it's showing over there, 16 and 17. Right? Because you cannot travel in a group and expect to reach heaven. This is not a group tour. Though you travel in a group, you will only make it to heaven individually. Everyone in the body of Christ or in the church has to encounter Christ personally and experience the cleansing by the blood of Jesus personally. Verse 18 and 19. For a multitude of the people, many from Ephraim, Manasseh, Issachar, Zebulun, had not cleansed themselves. Yet they ate the Passover contrary to what was written. But Hezekiah prayed for them, saying, May the Lord God provide atonement for everyone. Okay. Lord of people are partaking out without cleansing. And one man stood in the gap. Stood in the gap. Lord, have mercy on them. One man. Again, it is one man. It's not a priest. It's not a Levite. It's not a provide. It's one man. One man. Hezekiah prayed for them, saying, May the Lord God Provide atonement for everyone who prepares his heart to seek God, the Lord God of his fathers, though he is not cleansed according to the purification of the sanctuary. So what does he say? Lord, don't look at the outward, please. They're just learning. Just look into their heart. 
don't look at them. they don't know the entire law they don't know how to follow everything but just look into their heart if their heart is right just forgive them and that's how god looks every time we come before god god is not looking do you understand my whole word have you followed my whole word he says no i first look at your heart if your heart is right i will receive you and i will teach you my ways but if your heart is right there's no point in teaching you anything because you got an idol in your heart and a high position high thing in your mind you will go that way so he says lord look at their hearts lord though he is not cleansed look at his heart is there some desire for god okay it is not when god looks at he is not first looking at are you holy do you desire for holiness are you righteous no do you desire righteousness that's what he looks do you have the desire and classroom teachers we know no 50 students over there five or six have come for the subject the rest of the period we look at them the rest just want to pass an exam okay so when people gather in the church god looks into the whole crowd and says okay there are 100 people in the church 98 have come to go to heaven when they die two have come for me i will talk to those two pastor preaches to 100 two here and they go they go okay that's the whole thing because jesus is not looking at the crowd jesus is always looking at the individual in the crowd who has faith crowds gathered around jesus very few people got healing and some of those got who got healing the crowd did not even know they were there the woman with the issue of 12 years of blood she picked her healing and she walked away crowds were following wherever jesus went two blind men followed him went into the room and said lord he said do you believe i can do that they said we do he said let it be according to faith they got their sight and they walked away jesus walked into jericho he massive crowd on both sides blocking everything he looks at up there in the tree and says okay you come down i'm coming to your house one man one man just one man though there is a crowd and then he walks out of jericho one man blind man bartimaeus cries lord he says stops bring him here he gets his sight follows jesus what happened to the crowds you think they didn't have problems you think they didn't have issues ruling under uh, living under rome israel did not have issues how many people received how many people received because that's why god looks for that's why jesus says when the son of man comes will he find faith on earth will you find faith on earth okay so the word of god says he prayed who prayed hezekiah prayed in verse 20 and the lord listened to hezekiah and healed the people go back go back and listen to hezekiah's prayer okay okay 18 yeah Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, Lord, may the Lord, good God, provide atonement for everyone who prepares his heart to see God, the Lord God of his father. Though he is not cleansed according to the purification of the sanctuary, the Lord listened to Hezekiah and healed the people. Did you know by faith when you approach God through the blood of Jesus, you get healed? What is the prayer and what is the result? What is the result? The Lord healed the people. He listened to Hezekiah's prayer. 
and he healed the people. He listened to Elijah's prayer and brought down fire down. He listened to Moses' prayer every time and answered what the people wanted. He didn't listen to them, he listened to Moses. The power of one. Okay. God heard Hezekiah's prayer. Okay. And this is what is important. This is what we forget. This is the power of one man or woman who stands in the gap and prays. This is happening in the second month of the first year of Hezekiah. How old is he? 25. Think about it. They waited for a month. Why? To see that everybody from Israel and Judah. Judah is of course it's Judah and Israel. From Dan to Birshiva, Ephraim, Manasseh, everybody came. And a 24, 5 year old young man prays and God heals the nation. 25 year old man Young man, young man, 25 year old is a young man. Praise. God heals the whole nation. And that's why God says, one man, one woman. Village life has ceased. Highways are empty. Ephraim goes with 40,000, which this thing, no spear among them. All are defeated. And I, Deborah, the mother, arose. The next thing you see is Israel moves into victory. Because one mother decided to stand in the gap and pray. And God touched a man called Barak and said, you fight. You fight. I'll give you victory. The problem is we discount the prayer closet. We discount the prayer closet. It's Jonathan Edwards, remember? (laughs) He said, well, let me tell you what he said. Prayer does not bring awakening. He said, prayer is awakening. He said, prayer does not bring awakening. Prayer is awakening. Because when you start actually getting into your prayer closet and start praying, that means you are spiritually finally awake. Otherwise you are sleeping. Prayer is awakening. So God needed one man awake. That was Hezekiah. He prayed. You know, you can read the entire Bible, study the entire Bible, meditate upon the entire Bible without revival. You can hear and take notes and everything without revival. But it is impossible to get into your prayer closet, shut the door behind you, seek the face of God, with the word of God, of course, prescribed order, of course, and not be revived. Revival takes place in the prayer closet. That's why a church that is truly revived is a church that prays. A person who is truly revived is a person who has his time with God in the secret place. Because like I keep saying, you can never rise higher than your prayer life and your word life. So our sacrifice, our worship, our prayer, our work, everything is finally ordered by the Spirit of God and by the Word of God. And if you look at it, what characterized everything they did, verse 23, 25, and 26. 23, not 22. The whole assembly agreed to keep the feast and they kept it another seven day with what? Gladness. And verse 25. The whole assembly of Judah rejoiced. In verse 26, 
So there was great joy in Jerusalem. Okay, so this is the thing. Worship is characterized by joy. Because Bible says righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. That's the kingdom of. So first God sanctifies them. Cleanses them. Righteousness is restored. He gives rest for their souls. And then he gives joy. Kingdom of God is being manifested in Israel through a 25-year-old boy, young man, who stood up in the gap. The kingdom of God. There is righteousness. Situations don't matter. Enemies are there. After that, enemies will come. All kind of enemies will come. But you know what? The kingdom of God is established. The kingdom of God can resist any enemy. It will not be overcome. It cannot be overpowered. The kingdom of God inside you cannot be overcome. But the kingdom of God has its primary three manifestations. One is righteousness. Second is peace. And the third is joy. And the Bible says God gave them all three. They were cleansed. Righteousness was restored. They had rest for their souls. And they had joy. And it all started with one young man. And it leads to the examination of life. It doesn't stop there. Verse 30, chapter 31 and verse 1. When all this was finished, all Israel who were present went out to the cities of Judah and broke the sacred pillars in pieces, cut down the wooden images, threw down the high places and the altars from Judah, Benjamin, Ephraim, Manasseh, until they had utterly destroyed them all. Then all the children of Israel returned to their own cities, every man to his position. What did they do? They worshipped, they encountered the living God, and they decided, now we are going to do a deep cleansing. We are going to break everything of the enemy in this nation. This nation belongs to God. Everything that was erected to Baal and the pagan gods, meaning you search your hearts and look at every idol in your heart. Is a relationship an idol? Is a person an idol? Is a child an idol? No? Child an idol. Is something you're pursuing in the world an idol? Is your house your idol? Is your car your idol? All kind of idols. Even your sleep, your idol. No? Sloth has become God. No? Your pain, your idol. You know, pain can, your misery, poor me can become an idol that nobody can console you. Like Jacob, Joseph is dead. I will go to my deathbed like this. All his sons and daughters are around him. Nobody can console him. Now your grief has become God while Joseph is prospering on the way to becoming governor of Egypt. And here you are lying in your bed. Why? Because poor me. Okay, poor me. And that's what God is saying. Every idol they destroyed. Revival has to go into and doesn't stop in that plane. It goes into deeper. You start looking deep in and start destroying everything. And it doesn't stop there also. Verse 5. Because you have to look at it, how it is happening. Verse 5. As soon as the commandment was circulated, the children of Israel brought in abundance the fruitful of grain and wine and oil and honey and all the produce of the field. They brought in abundantly. What is written? Two words there. Abundance. What happens? Once true revival has hit your life, you become a giver. You give your life over to God. Because you had earlier given your life over to the world. You were not stingy with the world. You were never stingy with your flesh. When, when, when you slept, you slept 10 hours. You were never stingy. Right? 
He said, this is my day off. Okay. Now God says, now we have turned around. You give yourself abundantly. So what do you do? You give over your life, whatever it is, as the Holy Spirit. It's not talking about material things alone. Sometimes it is easier to give money than your life. No? Money than your life. God doesn't want your money first. He wants you. You know, in Corinthians, he said they first gave themselves and then they gave their money. Okay, so you will see these are the effects of revival. There's a deep cleansing. You allow the Spirit of God to search out your heart, shows the idols, the things in your house which needs to be thrown. The Holy Spirit will show you where are the blocks, especially today's modern Christian homes. You'll see why I'm praying, I'm doing nothing. I mean, he'll say, throw that out, throw that out, throw that out. Especially throw all Chinese things out. Especially if they got dragon images and all. Those are all demonic blocks in your house. And people get so upset. Oh, I went to China, I went to this place and I bought it. And some, some things come from Africa. All kind of carved images, which is used for voodoo and all kind of witchcraft. And people will come and bring it and go, well, oh, I, when I went on safari in Kenya, now that stopped God's presence in your house. The devil is having safari with you now. God will throw all those things out. No? It's all. Because there's nothing in the pagan world you should bring into your house without prayer. Because you don't know what they do with this. In the marketplace for your consumption, God says, ask, take it without any questions. You receive with prayer and thanksgiving, it is sanctified. All decorative items, be very careful. All the toys you buy for the children, be careful. Um, last week I got a picture of something, it was just a little this thing, like this thing about, and in that light I saw a toy sitting over there, and I told, get rid of that toy, that is demonic, that toy is demonic. They send these things out and they fill the marketplaces with it to destroy our children. You know? If you ask any child, have you a Christian child in their teens or younger, have you read the Bible? No. Have you read Harry Potter? Yes. No wonder you are in the demonic realm. Harry Potter and Christ is not going to delve in your heart at the same time. These are all demonic. Demonic, you know. The games children watch, the games they play on the TV, all of, most of them are demonic. Most of them. No? I still remember very clearly when my kids were young, you know, the most craze among the children was something called Pokemon. <sighs> Every child was hooked on to Pokemon, 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 bag Pokemon, water bottle Pokemon, you know, pencil box Pokemon, everything they wanted Pokemon. Mon in Malayalam means sun. Now the sun was going around poking everybody. He became Pokemon only. But what is Pokemon? It's a Japanese thing. And what is the actual short form? Pocket monster. It was a pocket monster. Okay. You know what happened? A generation goes down. So the Bible says, you have to look at all these signs of true revival. You do a cleansing. I can live with very little, Lord. I can very can throw out a lot of stuff can be thrown out. Books need to be thrown out. Stuff needs to be thrown out. Sometimes a lot of clothes need to be thrown out because they have demonic attachments. Let the Holy Spirit show you. Let the Spirit of God show you. Because what do you want? You want to be the house of God. You want to be the house of God. I don't want anything that offends the Spirit of God in my life, Lord. And then what happens? You are able to give abundantly. Why are you able to give abundantly? Because he is the one who gives to the sower. You cannot sow unless you have seed. 
and he is the one who gives seed to the sower. Now, why are people such stingy givers? Because they have very little. Why do they have very little? Because they haven't received from God. Why have they received from God? Because they haven't gone through cleaning the granary. God said, I cannot give it to you because you're full of junk. You're full of junk. Okay. I want you to be a clean vessel with no blocks at all. And then it flows from heaven down. You're not just, Abraham was not just blessed. The Bible says, I will bless you and I will to be a blessing. Blessing. So you will see there's an outpouring of the Spirit of God. You have to see it as an outpouring of the, because what is that, what you want the anointing for? You want the anointing to bless. Jesus was, Jesus Christ was anointed, filled with the Holy Spirit, and he sat there under a tree with a halo around his. No. He went around Israel doing good and healing everybody who was oppressed of the, that's what the anointing is given for. The anointing is just not given for you to store it, but to flow out of you. Flow out of you. And that's what's happening over there. They were excited, they were happy, they worshipped, they went, did an absolute spring cleaning of their lives. And then what they did do? They started giving abundantly. And that happened. So this is the key. The key is this. The key word through it all of this is there is prayer. It all started with a young man. Okay, young man. It all started. The centrality of it all you need to realize is your per- we are talking about a person's personal prayer life. That's the most important, not the corporate prayer. That has its own place. But the most important part is your personal prayer life. That's very important. If you, because God, we are looking at the power of one, not the power of many. Those ones have to come together and become one unit. Otherwise, it will only bring this unit, the centrality. Okay? So we take this and we apply it in the new covenant and see how we move forward for today. Luke chapter 3, verse 21. Okay. The Spirit of God, through the Word of God, is introducing His Son. When all the people were baptized, it came to pass Jesus also was baptized and while He, okay. So He's introduced to us first, not as a preacher, but as a praying man. The Father introduces His Son. We will know later he will be a great preacher, he will be a miracle worker, he will be a deliverer, he will be a savior. But he's introduced to us first as a praying man. His hidden life is revealed. This is a man who prays all the time. It's a man who prays all the time. And from that point we see him all the way to the cross, you will see he's a praying man. So the question is, God says, not before the world, before him, what is our identity? In Hindi we say Parishay. What is your identity? Give me your identity card. Do you think Enoch could have walked with God for 300 years if he was not a praying man? Impossible. Enoch, what's your identity? God, Lord, what is Enoch's identity? God says he was a praying man. Lord, what is Noah's identity? He's a praying man. Lord, what is Abraham's identity? He's a praying man. Lord, what is Isaac's identity? He's a praying man. What is Jacob's identity? He's a praying man. What is Joseph's identity? He's a praying man. What is Moses' identity? He's a praying man. Right? What is David's identity? He's a praying man. What is Elijah's identity? He's a praying man. What is Elisha's identity? He's a praying man. 
What is Jesus' identity? He's a praying man. They were all praying people. Okay. So they gave that importance to prayer and to the word of God. The word of God directed all their steps and decisions. But where did they hear? They heard in their prayer closet. And when the father is introducing his son to the world, he introduces him as a praying man. And in John chapter 2, verses 13 to 17, when he's introduced in the temple for the first time, what you see is his zeal for the house of God. And the Passover of the Jews was at hand. Jesus went up to Jerusalem. He found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. And when he made a whip of gods, he drove them all out of the temple. So what's happening? Yes, they're removing the junk from the house of God. What have you made? My father's house had only one identity. It was supposed to be a house of prayer for all nations. What are you supposed to be? What is our identity? It is not economic activity. It's not business activity. Okay, it is not business activity. It is prayer. And so the first time you see him in the temple, in the public field, what do you see him? You see him as a man who is zealous for the house of God. That this place should be a house of prayer and not anything else. That my house should be defined as a place. Do not make my father's house as a house of merchandise. Yeah. Then his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house has eaten me up. Okay, so God is saying, do we have that kind of zeal? Okay, and it is through prayer he kept the devil at bay. Okay, Jesus says the ruler of this world has come, but he found nothing in me. And we see from the beginning of his life the ruler of the world is coming. Forty days in the wilderness, the ruler comes, he could get nothing in him. In between he comes, at the end on the cross also he comes, he can't get anything in him. The question is, how did he keep the ruler of this world, that is the devil, at bay? We will say because he was dead in his flesh, but how did he kill his flesh in his prayer closet? There is no other uh, short, short, what you call it, shortcuts to this. Hebrews 5 and verse 7 is very clear. In the days of his flesh, when he had offered prayers and supplications which vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. Okay, what death? We looked at it many times. A lot of new listeners are there every week. New, new listeners are there. God did not save him from death on the cross. The death on the cross was a death for us, atonement from sin. But there was another death he could have gone through, our death. The wages of sin is death. He did not die because he sinned. How could he sin? He came in the flesh like this, in the days of his flesh. There is temptation coming from outside, the devil and the world he has created. If he falls in the flesh and sins, kalash, no salvation for anybody. Even his state is debatable, what would happen to him. Because the father being righteous has to judge the son. Okay? So this is a risk the Trinity took. A risk. Calculated risk. Because the father had absolute confidence in his son. My son will not fall. He will rely on my spirit and walk through this. So this death he is talking about is sin. And uh, Hebrews uh, 4.15, right? Hebrews 4.15, don't negate that. Okay? 
For we do not have a high priest, that is Jesus Christ, who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was all points tempted. So don't tell that he was not tempted also. Just as we are, more than any one of us, yet did not sin. So he had the flesh like us, he was tempted like us, he did not sin. Why? Because of his prayer life. He overcome the devil every day in his prayer life. Prayer life. Okay, let's go to my favorite verse, Mark 1, verse 35. One thirty-five. Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out, departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. Okay, now we understand why he needed a solitary place, because in 5-7 we saw how he prays. He prays like that, nobody can. Like his prayers was like Pastor Vijay snoring. <laughs> if Pastor Vijay is sleeping in the same room, then forget your sleep. He will sleep, he will be all wide awake. So Jesus knows that. The way I pray, disciples are not going to sleep. But this is my battle. This is not their battle. They have to choose their battle. I have chosen my battle. Okay, when Pastor Vijay, when he has his headaches, one of the things they always tell you is that you know when your headache is starting. Don't wait it until your head is throbbing and then take your time and all. It takes a long time for the pain to go. But when you feel the first vibration in your head, you take that. Okay, you take that. You will course through the day and you don't even realize you had a headache. Because by the time the effects of the medicine is gone, the headache is also gone. Meaning, you don't fight temptation when it comes. Start your day early. The rest of the day is going to be full of testings and temptations. What does he do? He wakes up early in the morning and goes into this solitary place. He wins his battle in the prayer closet and he comes out. He walks through the day victorious. The problem is we wait for night when we are so tired after work. Lord, forgive me. I fell so many times today, Lord. Please have mercy on me. God said, son, I have mercy on you. But I feel sorry for you. Why don't you learn from my sons? He said, don't you? Didn't you hear today twice? Hezekiah the king woke up early. Jesus, my son, woke up early. And what did you do first? Got into the prayer closet, spent time with me, and he walked through the day. He walked through the day. And the temptation is the same as. And his temptations are incredible temptations. Can we survive those temptations? Let's look at the background. Okay, chapter 1, verse 21, 22. Chapter 1, verse 21, 22. They went to Capernaum. Immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribe. They were used to all the priests. No Catholic priest, Marthamite priest, no Jacobite priest, all priests are there. No? Pentecostal priests, Baptist priests, pastors, everybody is there. But they looked at him and said, his, his teaching is different. Teaching is different. He teaches with one having authority. So incredible teaching. Incredible teaching. And he's not even from Bible college. And he's not even from the Levi, tribe of Levi. And he cannot even mention who was his teacher's name. Did you study under Gamaliel? No. Hillel? No. No L. The only L I know is El Shaddai. He was my teacher. They are stunned by his teaching. Okay. Verse 32, 34. 
whole day you will see his healing casting out demons and at evening when the sun had set they brought to him all who were sick and those who were demon possessed every sick person in that town vicinity came healed demon possessed the whole city was gathered at the door this is the context think about you are a young preacher who just started preaching this marks after one first day second day of your ministry the entire town is at your doorstep and they say wow what teaching this most of the healers today have no teaching and most of the teachers today don't heal <laughs> and deliverance nobody wants to get into it here is a man who teaches with authority heals the sick and casts out demons the whole city has come word certify says now in the morning he rises up early goes to a solitary place spends time because his flesh is getting hit that's how a lot of people got hit and they become just healers they started a ministry healing ministry when that they couldn't they couldn't resist the crowds they couldn't resist the crowds and it's all about that and after that they fell into a rut is healing part of this message yes is deliverance part of the message yes he couldn't they can't handle it you can you handle the crowds the adulation when you are young and the crowds come and then what happens 36 37 Simon Simon the Peter and those who were with him searched for him when they found him they said everyone is looking for you if you are young and your flesh is strong boy everyone is looking for you tell them to wait 5 minutes let me brush up this thing okay i shall come all our new preachers you look at every new preacher on facebook everybody has that this thing collar and that waistcoat everybody is ready all shining and all look at the why do you have to wear this costume that to in india in this humidity humidity is 95 temperature is 42 and you got three piece suit <laughs> you know it's the crowd and the cameras i'm not saying anything in wrong per se in it but if you are in the western world where it is cold and all do all that you know everyone is looking for you what does he say he said to them let's go into the next towns that i may preach there also because for this purpose i have come forth what happened in the prayer closet flesh died the father told him son see when our flesh does not die we will not hear even if we hear we will reject it now if you did not go to the next town and spend that whole day in this town and healed everybody and delivered every isn't that a good work but it would be disobedience to the living father who has already spoken many many will come in my name and says lord lord we healed in your name we cast out demons in your name and i will say i do not know you how come i do not know you how come he says i do not know you because i never saw you in your prayer closet that's where i know people i don't know people in the public place i know them first in their prayer closet that's where i encountered them then when they go into the public place i stand with them otherwise it's just a gift working it's a gift working it's a gift working a prayer closet defines us 
And in these last days, we should be spending more and more time in the prayer closet. So he says, let's go. Let's go. You know what's the problem of the Christian? Not about the world. The problem of the world and the problem of the Christian may look the same. It is not the same. The problem of the world is sickness, poverty, conflict, everything. The problem of the Christian is not any one of these, though he may go through all of this. His problem is he has not heard from God. That's his problem. None of us ever living today will go through what Joseph went through. Betrayed by his own brother, sold for silver as a slave, taken in chains, sold as a slave on a public auction block in Egypt, and serves as a slave faithfully, false accusation thrown into a dungeon with fetters and chains around his necks. And it's all written in scripture. The Bible says the Lord was with him. That's all it takes. So the problem you and I face and the world face may look the same outwardly. The solution is not the same. The only thing a believer needs is what Jesus promised. It's good for you that I go. I will not leave you orphans. I will send you somebody just like me. The Holy Spirit when he comes. The world will not know them. But he will be with you forever. And he will guide you. He will speak to you. He will talk to you. In the prayer closet, we don't encounter him. Therefore, we are overwhelmed by our problems. That's why I'm talking about do not discount the power of one. Entire salvation of humanity before and after was brought by the obedience of one man called Jesus Christ. And he was defined in his prayer closet. So he is our model. That's why we looked at Ezekiel. We looked at the whole process of a 25-year-old young man bringing revival. Though he is the king of Judah, he brought revival to Judah and Israel. And Ephraim and Manasseh. Right? Everybody he brought. Dan to Beersheba. He called everybody. Right? Mark chapter 6, 41 to 46. When he had taken the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven, blessed and broke the loaves, and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And the two fish he divided among them all. This is the feeding of the five thousand. So they all ate and were filled. And they took up twelve baskets full of fragments of the fish. And now those who had eaten the loaves were about five thousand men. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida, while he sent the multitude away. And when he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. He did two things. See, you cannot call a set of people who do not pray to with you to pray. So he sent them, you go to the other side. Leave the crowds and go to the other side. Crowds, go. You guys, go to the other side. He goes in the third direction. Where does he go? He goes up to the mountain to pray. The question is, you had the greatest miracle you have done so far. With five loaves of bread and two fish, See, economic revival. <laughs> okay. Okay, economic revival. And he just leaves the place. He sends his disciples from the crowds. He goes up the mountains. What is the reason? The reason is in same incident in John chapter 6, verse 14 and 15. Those men, after eating that five, this thing, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, this is truly the prophet who has come into the world. Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to the mountain by... He didn't want the disciples to. The disciples would say, it's a good idea. You can become king. We'll throw the Romans out. 
and establish the kingdom of God now. You know? You know the adulation of the crowds? Okay. And you know you have the power. <laughs> You're filled with the Holy Spirit. Right? Okay. Filled with the Holy Spirit. We do not know what the Father would have done if the Son had chosen that way. Because Moses disobeyed God. God said, speak to the rock. What did he do? He struck the rock. Did water come? Did people thirst were quenched? Yes. So Moses' disobedience did not stop the miracle. Moses was judged. People's thirst were quenched. So he came in the flesh just like us. And he's getting the greatest temptation you can think of at that age. He's 30 years old. And the devil can bring all scripture. You are 30 years old. The people want to make you king. Don't you know your father David was made king at 30? That's how the devil will immediately quote scripture. That's the right age for you to become king. You're the son of David, right? Right? Look at you. They want to make you king. All are there. Look, look at them. They are representative. All the tribes are there. You know, David at 30 had only two tribes. You got 12. Right time to become king. Let's march into Jerusalem. Let's throw the Caesar out. And you have the power. You are always aware of his power. When Peter took the sword out, he said, take your sword away. If I want my father will send me 12 legions of agents, I can't command, angels will come. He knows that. He's aware of his power. So temptation is there. Incredible temptation. A lot of things we can do. That's what Paul thinks. All things are permissible. All things beneficial. Will it bring out the will of God, the purpose of God? Do you know the heart of God? And he knows his disciples. They know they're very fickle. Crowds move them. No, crowds move them. You know? Crowds move them. That's why you look at all Trump's rallies. When the crowds are there, he speaks well. He just takes off. Okay, he just takes off. Sometimes he says some goofy things also. Okay, because the crowds. But Jesus never played to the crowds. Never played to the crowds. It was absolutely clear. I have come here to do my father's will, not to be moved by the crowds. The crowds want to make him king. He's king. And he will become king, whether you like it or not. He doesn't need the crowds to make him king. Because he's already king. But he's king because his father said you are a king. And he has come to do his father's will. So what does he do? He goes alone into the prayer closet. Okay. Because crowd is like, today they will make you king, tomorrow they will say crucify you. Today they will put you on the pedestal, tomorrow they will pull you down. It is like the waves of a stormy sea. So you have to learn to walk over, over it. Over public opinion and do the will of God. So you know what he does? He comes down from the mountain. He walks over the stormy seas to his disciples. These things don't move me. I've come here to do the will of my father. Final one and then we'll close. Mark chapter 14 verse 32 and 35. Then they came to a place which was named Gethsemane. This is his last day. He said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. Okay? So he leaves his one set of disciples. Then he took Peter, James and John with him. And he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. So he's not playing favorites. Okay? So remember, pastors don't usually play favorites. They know to whom to share and whom not to share. So he told nine disciples, eight disciples, sit here and pray. To the other three, Peter, James and John, to whom he has, who have known him better, 
probably consecrated themselves better. They are also there on the Mount of Transfiguration. These three were there when Jairus' daughter was raised from the dead. So some people among the twelve have seen more of him. To them, he bared his heart as a human, just as a man. I began to be very troubled, deeply distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death, stay here and watch. So there are three groups, eight here, three here. And then what does word five says? He went a little further. He's still alone praying. But there are, these are prayers you cannot pray in a, in a group. Because they don't have his consecration and his surrender. He fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. He's still alone. He's still alone. And one of the things which you will see about Jesus Christ is that almost every time he prays, he prays alone. He prays alone. His entire, even if there is a whole lot of them and everybody over them and the bread is given into his hands, he will not say, Peter pray. He says, I will pray. Because he knows they haven't come to that point. And later they will all come to that point and they will also pray together and pray for each other and ask for prayers. Everything I'm showing you the pattern. But it all begins with your personal prayer. And that one man, one woman, whoever it is, a child, an old man, a young man, it does not matter. It can be a child like Samuel, a woman like Deborah, or a woman like Hannah, right? The praying mothers in the Bible. A mother is a praying. The praying mother defines the home. Can change the course of a children. Not every mother. You have righteous mother, hardworking mother. All kind of mothers are there. Now, cook, mothers who cook well, mothers who work well, mothers who make a lot of money, mothers who shop well. All kind of mothers are there. But the need of the church is none of this. The mothers who pray. What we need is praying mothers. And I, Deborah, the mother arose. Okay? And then we discount this thing about our children. We think about children. But God can speak to children. God can. Okay. We, we think our children can learn everything except to walk with God. Yet Jesus said, do not stop the children from coming to me. We stop them from going to Jesus Christ. And Hannah taught Samuel how to go to God. Though Samuel did not know God. Right? And God spoke to him as a child. And he heard from child, and his life was never the same again. He became the voice of God in Israel. For how many years? How many years did he love this man? All the days of his life, he judged Israel. Because he was a young man who learned to pray. Like I said, if you look at all these great men of God, David is known as the greatest of kings in God's sight in Israel. But what is he really? A praying man. Praying. Whether he goofs up or he doesn't goof up, you catch him praying. You catch him pray. Right? He's a man who prays. He understood the secret of the prayer closet. So today, the title of today's message is Do Not Limit the Power of One. Shall we pray? Father, we just come to you, Lord. Your ways are not our ways. Your thoughts are not our thoughts. Help us, Lord. Help us. Help us to see, Lord. Because there is so much discouragement in the kingdom of God. Men and women locked down. Older men, older women, young ones. Everything is shut. Nothing is happening. Life is dead. Churches are closed. But oh Father, the most exciting place on planet earth is the prayer closet. Prayer closet. 
when your son was introduced to the world, as he was being baptized, your word says he was praying and heaven opened. And the next greatest man who ever lived would be introduced. You would tell Ananias, go to the street called Straight. Go to that house. And there is a man, Saul of Tarsus. Behold, he is praying. All these people were introduced as praying people. Even your son was introduced as a praying son of man. We pray, Father. People will be encouraged and excited to go into their prayer clause. And they wouldn't give up. They wouldn't try a few times and then give up and say, it's no point, God does not talk to me. No, he will. He'll show us to clear the junk from our lives, to take the rubbish out, repair the walls, to hang the doors, to sanctify ourselves, to be ashamed of our lack of prayer life, lack of word life, to be ashamed like the Levites were ashamed. Teach us how to use the blood for ourselves. And use the blood against the enemy. You teach us all these things in that prayer closet. And then when we come out, we have joy, we have peace. We know we have been sanctified. And we keep walking that doorway, Lord. Walk that way. Teach us, Lord. Teach us, teach us, teach us. Because this is about you. And the kingdom of God that is almost knocking at the doors. It's here, almost here. And I pray, Father, in U.S. this time. It's not about Trump 2020. It's about the church. It's about the church. He's a political leader who can bring political change. But real change is brought by spiritual leaders. And I pray, Lord, around the world, especially in U.S., intercessors will rise. They will be found in their prayer closet, men, women, and children. And they will take hold of you. Like Jacob wrestled with you. Alone. You wrestled with him, he wrestled with you. And he said, unless you bless me, I will not let you go. And I pray, Lord, spiritual wrestlers will arise who will say, Lord, unless you bless me and my household and my nation, I will not let you go. I will not let your death on the cross go in vain. I want salvation. They will cry out like the old time greats. Lord, give me Ireland. Give me England. Give me Wales. Give me India. Give me US. Or let me die. Because you said in your word, ask of me and I will give you the nations as your inheritance. We are fighting for souls here. We are not asking for money and riches and houses and all these things, Lord. We are asking for souls. We want to see India saved. We want to see U.S. restored to his old spiritual glory. Not economic, military glory, Lord. No, we want it to be restored back into his old days. When a set of few hundred people braved the oceans to look for a land where they could worship God in freedom. They risk their lives to worship. You want that, Lord. Nations being restored back to God. 
homes being restored, lives being restored. That can only happen when intercessors arise. When Deborahs arise, children like Samuel arise, young men like Hezekiah arise, praying men like Moses and Abraham arise, then it will happen. You said and promised through your prophet Zachariah, I will pour out the spirit of prayer and supplication. Pour that out, Lord, upon us. That we will enter into a prayer closet and we will not grudge you the time we give you. We'll be generous. With abundance, we'll give our life and our time over to you. In prayer, in supplication, and in proclamation. Christ will have its witness on earth. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you. Pray for all the dear ones who are listening. And all those who are not well in their body. Pray, Father, send forth your word and heal them of their sickness, of their infirmities. And as you said, Lord, let weak hands be lifted up and feeble knees be strengthened that people shall lift up their hands and they shall pray. As you said through your servant, let men lift up holy hands without wrath and pray. Let people of prayer rise, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We just thank you. We just praise you. We just worship you. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.